and welcome to another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle Hanley, and joining me on the other line, dripping wet and fresh off his latest baptism, <laughs> it's John McMahon. <laughs> I gotta be careful around the microphone. You know, it's like every two weeks I gotta go get dunked and like, you know, it just so happened to coincide with podcast recording. Just a creepy elevated tub like inside. Yeah. We don't know where the tub came from. Um, we don't know. I am in dressed in all white, like reflecting my purity, including newfound purity, um, purified in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. We Sorry. didn't even get to see Paige in her baptism dress because she's I in that dumb robe. Whole rigmarole, correct? Yeah. What a wasted scene! Do you have to cross your arms like over Why your are you chest in an me? X? I was baptized when I was like three days old. Like Same. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I I do know because of all my baptisms. I think I just go to a different kind of church than Paige. Paige's church with like the Buddy Christ. So I was like, I can't. <laughs> wait, let's get into this episode. I have so much to say about the church. I was going to make a UU joke, but we'll keep going. Oh no! Get out of here. Okay, what episode are we talking about, John? American season three, episode six, the baptism episode, aka Born Again. Directed by Kevin Dowling, written by Tracy Scott Wilson. And Danielle, what is our episode summary this week? The IMDb summary for season three, episode six is, Gabriel has surprising information. Elizabeth begins to take family matters into her own hands. Stan receives upsetting news from his past and turns to Sandra for support. A totally useless episode summary. I I was just going to say, like, okay, those things do happen, but, like, I don't know, the Stan receiving upsetting news feels like it highlights a part of the episode that, like, we literally don't have to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Except for one a time when he was good at his job. True. I guess, like, it is hard to write an episode summary for a show about spies where you don't give things away. But you got to say something about Kimmy. You got to say something about Paige if you're writing this episode summary. Born again. Paige is baptized. (laughs) (laughs) Watch. Surprise, surprise. Shock to the listeners. Baptism is the theme of the episode Uh, and all the things associated with it. So you got new birth. You got new life. You have the washing away of past sins and ills. I just have whole new selves emerging. From I the listeners the baptismal to know, font. I want the, the listeners to know that I protested yeah. <laughs> this theme. Yes. And the obvious theme of the episode, Danielle, was like, no, we could never talk about the thing that is I was the like, Please, central no. organization of this episode. <laughs> so I protested it, but, like, obviously the protest was just because of my own discomfort, not because it's not a good theme for the episode. Yeah. Um, well, then let me do this, Danielle. Let me, in like true CR style, uh, give you a couple directions we can go with this baptism scene. Please, uh, and you and you pick. You know, you direct us through the currents of the bath. Um, I'll tell us which show I actually watch more than one episode <laughs> of. Great. <laughs> Uh, I think we can go through and talk about uh, Pastor Tim's like little speech sermon mm-hmm. situation. I think we could talk about the reaction shots of uh, Elizabeth and Philip. I think we can talk about the callback to the opening scene of the season. I think we can kind of talk about Paige herself. Where do we start? Daniel? Let's start with um, 
Tim and Philip and sort of go from there. I, I really do want us to talk about Philip's reaction shot to like all of it. Like when, when Paige looks around and like Elizabeth like has a smile that's believable and Philip's face is like full resting bitch face. Like I <laughs> hate my life. I hate everything that's happening here. And then's like has the fakest version of a smile on it. So I, I think Pastor Tim's speech sets us up nicely to like, get some context for all of it. So tell us a little bit about that speech. Well, it's that Pastor Tim, we're going to kind of save the early part of his sermon for later in the episode when we go down into the cave um, with one of the people he talks about. Um, And then we're going to focus here instead on the way in which Pastor Tim's sermon about Paige works both as like a general baptism thing in this like liberal, slightly lefty church situation, but also has an extra particular added meaning for Tim vis-a-vis Philip and Tim vis-a-vis Paige because of the uh, altercation where Philip almost kills Pastor Tim in the (laughs) previous season, right? Because Pastor Tim has... As uh, casually <laughs> puts on the gloves, walks in the church, past body Christ and into the rectory. Anyway, so <laughs> Pastor Tim has this whole thing about uh, what Paige doing being her challenging and her questioning that she's yelling at the marches. And so she has this like defiant new personality that she's come to through Jesus. And then she talks about how so, that he talks about something, how like this is her most defiant protest yet. Yeah. Right. And like, I, I can't tell if we're supposed to interpret the way the camera is shooting Pastor Tim. Is Tim looking at Philip when he is saying that? Because, like, I think so. Because Paige, I'm sure, understands this is a defiance of her parents. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't, like, even know the half of it. And Pastor Tim does. So there's this weird, like, added knowledge that, or added context that Tim and Philip have to Tim's sermon here. I think that's right. And I think like, I also interpreted it as uh, Tim looking at Philip. And, and I would just add to, to that, that like, we have the context of, you're right that like, Pastor Tim has all of this added context, but Paige like, stages this, you know, effectively like this personal revolution against her parents, like by bringing Pastor Tim and his wife, like to dinner to make this announcement, right? Like Mm -hmm. Pastor Tim is like, he's, he's reading it the way I think Paige understands it herself. Right. And there's like a, I know, you know, kind of thing happening there with the like Pastor Tim Philip dynamic, like as it has unfolded over multiple seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's then an interesting contrast with what the scene is doing in relation to Elizabeth's first scene in this entire season, which is her in the bathtub, just casually chilling as opposed to purifying herself of her sins, goes under and has this memory of Paige as a child and her having throw Paige into the pool to help, you know, force her to learn how to swim. (laughs) And so there's just like this, that's the most secular but also kind of like nostalgic family moment for elizabeth Mm -hmm. as opposed to this like the most possible um like sacralized moment yeah 
Well, yeah. And it's like, it's interesting, like to think back on it, like all of the different times that like water or, or pools or bathtubs like has come into, into play here. And I think like, there's a way to read like new life or like the precipice of something new or different, like through each of those moments that then gets sort of cashed out here in the like, um, the like religious version of this or the sacred version of this. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I hadn't even thought about some of the other pools and like what bodies of water in the past. Um, you know, we have the murder that Elizabeth commits in the pool yeah. of the ISI superior to Yusef. We also have the fact that there's some like water torture when Claudia has them both abducted. Yep. Um, that one of them, I think Philip has his head stuck in water to like threaten drowning him or whatever to give up information. And here we have what is supposed to be the total opposite of that for Paige. Well, yeah. And like to go back to your point from a moment ago, thinking about this in relation to the scene where Elizabeth throws Paige into the water, like this is the very opposite of Elizabeth throwing Paige. This is Paige taking control of her own entry into a body of water that like Philip and Elizabeth both have serious reservations about and that page knows. Right. So like it is like new life for page in a way that is like marking this like distinctive separation from her parents, which then gets like complicated and more convoluted as the episode goes on to take that point even further and thus ruin your segue that you set up. It's page throwing her parents further into the church, right. Through her, getting herself dunked into the bottle of in the body of water. Huh. I wouldn't have read it as that, not necessarily Paige throwing her parents as further into the church, but Paige like solidifying the tether of mm-hmm. her parents mm-hmm. to the church. Cause I yes. like, I don't know, I guess like, I mean, she does try to get Elizabeth to pray for the first time ever later on this episode. And Philip does pray. I know. I was just like, but like, but everything, like everything for Philip and Elizabeth, it's like a tool of manipulation. So mm-hmm. like, so sure, like maybe, maybe it is her throwing them deeper into the church or it's all, but it's also them learning how to use the church for their own benefit, which is right. like, it's, a, it's another tool. For them. Yeah. So, like, I'm interested to see, like, how do they use, like, Paige's relationship to the church to, like, affect the various manipulations on her that they're trying to. That's, to me, like, the central question of all of this that's, like, left open by this episode. I wish at this precise moment I had a guest who had watched the entire (laughs) American so we could make, like, virtual eye contact with one another about what you just said. Great. Well, we can pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Just have Keller like pretend that Keller's yeah. there, like lurking somewhere in the in oh. the virtual world. All right, so you did try to make this segue that I obsess uh, to the two different sets of paralleling conversations that are happening with or in relation to Paige in this episode, or uh, even more conversations if we want to include Gabriel's two conversations with Philip and Elizabeth. But let's kind of start with the early episode conversation. So we have Philip in Paige's bedroom 
we have Elizabeth in the garage right. in which both of them are trying to like puff up Paige and how proud they are of her, but also as a way to direct her towards the new life that they want for her. So I want to read my notes <laughs> from Please. this. A, a classic bit. Uh, another Philip tries to manipulate Paige session. Stand up for what you want. Too heavy handed. No one knows what is better for you than you. Always be true to yourself. Uh. <laughs> it's just like, if, and I think that's the desired response. Like, oh God, Philip, like not again. And, and we get that response from Paige, right? Um, but the things that he's saying are the things that we then hear from Elizabeth from a different angle in the garage. Mm -hmm. So like not both of these are just kind of nominal things to get Paige to try and fail question mark to get Paige on their respective sides. So proud of you for, for Philip. You seem like such an adult from Elizabeth, right? You're just impressed by you is what she is, what she tells her, right? That Philip talks about her standing by her beliefs. They didn't make this church thing uh, easy. She knows what's best for her, all these other sorts of things, which are all ways of Philip being like, don't do the thing that your mom thinks is best for you, but do the thing I think is best for you, which I am suggesting lines up with what you think is best for you. Right. It's the like, I have you, I have your best interest in mind, but you have to trust that I have your best interest in mind, not your mom, right? Mm -hmm. Without saying the not your mom part. Correct. And Paige is just like, uh, and to her credit, she's over it from, she's over it from Philip, but there is this element where like she, she, I think she craves like acceptance or like that like relationship with Elizabeth, which makes all of this even more dangerous. And Philip knows that. It's a great point because the, the only like actual response that Paige has, and it's only a partial kind of full response to what Philip is putting down is his opening question of, do you feel any different? And she like recognizes that there's some sarcasm and some genuineness in that question. And she simply says, I feel more at peace. Right. And like, that's, I think her being very kind of direct and connecting to Philip and yeah. everything else is like a, uh, fine dad, whatever you say, I want to sit down on my bed. I wish I knew what she was reading. I like, is, is she reading the Bible? <laughs> I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> I, some sort of like teen study guy. Yeah. 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 Bible, like perhaps. chicken soup for the newly baptized soul <laughs> or something. <laughs> That's that's what I spend an hour reading after my bi bi monthly or bi weekly. I never know what these things mean. Uh, baptism. That's borrowed nostalgia for the unremembered nineties. <laughs> a little chicken soup for the soul reference. Oh, and like I don't know if this happened to you, but certainly I actually didn't have it happen to me, but a number of my friends did. But like high school graduation, I had friends who got like seven chicken soup, <laughs> whatever soul. No, I think by then it was like oh this is just Christianity like in siphon through the form of capitalism. And my parents were like, no, 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 no. We don't do this in our family. Good job. Families. I'm not surprised <laughs> that they were on the right side. Of I got a here. surfboard for graduation. Thank you very much that Best I still gift. have that I still use. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we should get some, we should make up some, and not quite great books, like stickers and stuff just for you to put on the surfboard to you, wrap you, when you're, you, 
Um, you don't put stickers on a I know. I understand that. <laughs> I'm like horrified at the thought of it. I'm, I'm sure it cuts down your aerodynamics and they fall off in the water. <laughs> I, I, we can't get into it. I can't, or I can't hi, do hydro, it. Hydrodynamics. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm clearly uh, a major surf bro. Well, you need to put wax on the surfboard yeah, so that I, I you can that. stand on it. Right. But like, you you can't affix things to it because one they wouldn't stay on in the water, yeah. but also like the whole point of the surfboard is like the design of the surfboard. My surfboard looks like it's made out of wood paneling, but it's not. So like you wouldn't want it. it's not like a skateboard. Skateboards you you put yeah, that's on. that's clearly what I was thinking of. Not that I'm a skater either, but you know that's I more... feel like there could have been skater boy John energy at some point in your life though. I think that's possible. I had the requisite angst. I just channeled it in other directions. <laughs> I could also see like an early aughts John wearing like two baggy pants. <laughs> okay. I did have overly baggy pants um, in the Jankos? late nineties. Yeah. I don't think I ever actually had any Jenkos, but I think I, I wanted Jenkos, <laughs> but was like knew in my heart and soul that like that was not right for me. I went jean shopping. I went shopping this weekend um, to buy like a couple of new clothes with some of the money I got for my birthday. And I was like, am I really going to buy baggy jeans? And I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, me neither. I recognize that like that it marks me as a hyper millennial. Which I'm to, fine like, with. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to return to the baggy jeans of the remembered 90s. Absolutely not. Okay, we're um, a little bit off track, but I there's there was a segue somewhere in there. It's yeah. I think it's like angst and Paige instead of channeling yes. her angst into like hanging ten has uh, channeled her angst into God. Well, I think like one way to maybe cap off this part of the page discussion is to is to draw the connection back to the main theme to like think about that it is that both Philip and Elizabeth want a new life for Paige and that that is sort of like, even though Paige wants a version of a new life for herself, that she's sort of enacting through baptism, that the baptism for them is not the the gateway to that new life. And so they disagree over what that looks like, but they share the desire of it to be something different than the life Paige is articulating for herself. I thoroughly agree with you. And on top of that page, both unknowingly and knowingly is trying to like respond or resist or claim that actual genuine new life for herself. Even I think it's more so in this conversation with Elizabeth, right? First, she just like disarms Elizabeth's like being <laughs> flustered at the fact that she's smoking a cig and is getting cocks. We know Elizabeth loves blasting cigs. Uh, she loves, she loves it. She loves it. She doesn't um, usually do it at home in her garage. Though. Yeah. The garage is new. Um, it's usually out the window or, or there's some other scenes later in the Americans where she'll be elsewhere blasting some cigs in a memorable fashion. Um, I like that it, you're calling it blasting cigs. Okay, keep going. I had a friend who called it blasting cigs. And so, Leo, you know Leo. Leo always referred to it as blasting cigs. I mean, so. I'm into it. I just have yeah. never heard that phrase, <laughs> but I feel great about it. So let's keep it. I think that's a specific like Western mass-ism for smoking. Believe I believe it. Sure. Anyway, so Paige is just like, yeah, we're not clueless, Mom. Her and Henry both know. 
And at the end of that conversation is when she like tries to bring Elizabeth into her new life by being like, Hey mom, have you ever tried praying? It's, you know, it's not like scary or whatever, but she feels this presence. And so she's trying to like get Elizabeth to join her in the new life. But then the thing that she doesn't know how like right she is, and this is like a callback as well to the past situation, you know, you, I know you know it's bad for you. I know you wish – I know you know that we, the kids, wish you didn't do this, which is about smoking, but, like, might as well be about them spying for the KGB. Right, 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 right. Every other episode. So there's just this way in which Paige is consistent with the way she's depicted over these first several seasons of The Americans, like, is always more right than she can ever realize. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I agree with that. And I think it's interesting to track not only how right Paige is, but the, the things about which she is correct, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's an interesting sort of arc of character development in tracking what Paige is, like, actually correct about. A great point. I try. Elizabeth Elizabeth (laughs) tries, though, to school Paige at the end of the episode. Right? So we have these... We have the parallel conversations where Elizabeth and Elizabeth and Philip both try to like talk to Paige to manipulate her early in the episode. Yeah, and then the final scene of this episode is like toggling back and forth between Elizabeth takes Paige like on this trip like to a predominantly black area of DC is what it's supposed to be, and like sits her down and talks about like the the life that. Elizabeth had and Philip had that Paige doesn't yeah. know about the like activist life. Yeah. Right. To claim that they're not so different from one another. So this is like a much more directed, purposeful trying to get Paige into a new life that suits Elizabeth's vision for what new life or rebirth should be like the rebirth into the like spy to, into the activist, into the whatever in a way that's different than, page you know going to rallies and protests at the church which is the kind of activism that pastor tim celebrated in the exactly well and i also thought that it was notable that this scene happens after gabriel is like elizabeth don't let philip hold you back oh yeah and the next like next scene with elizabeth she's like picking up page from school Surprise pickup from school. With some great travel agent cover. I had to drop off some tickets. Like, you've never done that before. Get out of here. (laughs) Oh, my God. I guess being a travel agent, like, falls away as a useful, like, decoy identity if um, if everything is online. But in the 80s, works great. Um, Only only with state contracts do you get to be a travel agency. Uh, which one million percent, but yeah. So this, so this idea that like the, like the new life and, and like what's, and the manipulation that Elizabeth is sort of engaging in is also like pushed by or prompted by, or maybe like co-signed by Gabriel in, and I think maybe Elizabeth doesn't even realize that she's waiting for Philip's approval until Gabriel is like, you do not need his approval. I think that's an interesting read, especially considering that the way Elizabeth opens that conversation is with Gregory. Yeah. Right? And we had conversations all the way back in season one about how 
there's in some there's some ways in which Elizabeth with Gregory is less of a filter or slightly less of a performance. Yeah. Um, that she gets to be a kind of more genuine sense of herself with Gregory than even she did at Philip at the time. And so I think it's not surprising then that in response to Gabriel's manip- own manipulation or like pulling the strings behind the scene, that she returns to Gregory to try to connect with Paige. Well, yeah. And like the thing that I was thinking about is that like that realness that we get or, or maybe like a different version of realness that we got between Elizabeth and Gregory, like perhaps trying to, to channel that in this maybe like restart or rebirth of, of her relationship with Paige. Right. is paralleled in a really interesting way. So this whole scene, and we can continue to talk about Paige and Elizabeth if we want to, but like this whole scene is also paralleled by the sort of like the sister scene of Philip as Jim and Kimmy. And the thing that strikes me about what you're saying about Gregory and the realness and, and that is that Philip as Jim tells Kimmy about like uh, this sort of like element of truth that he's unable to, or at least stops himself from telling Elizabeth. Right. So there's like, you get that parallel, like realness in ways that they can't be real with each other, like to these other people or in regard to these other people. And I think that's like another form, another parallel that we get between these two scenes. It definitely is. I mean, before we explore that parallel a little bit more, Did you think that Elizabeth was about to tell Paige a deeper element of like to do more disclosure of we're spies for the KGB in either of these two conversations? Because like, especially this viewing compared to previous ones, it seems like she is totally on the verge of it in both instances through the camera work, through her love, through, um, through the Carrie Russell's kind of performance. And then especially in the second scene at the end of the episode in the like dramatic swelling of the music, right. That's the, was the dramatic swell in the music that could have been used for a moment when Elizabeth like gets even realer with Paige. So that is a, like an interesting set of questions. And I hadn't been thinking so much about the music, but I think like the thought that I had and the note that I have to myself is seems like Elizabeth wants to tell Paige, but obviously she'll never let herself do it. I think one thing, at least I feel like I know about Elizabeth and I, I don't know, maybe I'm interested to hear like what you think about this. But one thing that I think I know about Elizabeth is like, she, with regard to Paige, she's playing the long game and like the full, like, Gregory reveal, like, and the reveal of, like, we are spies was never going to happen, like, one, uh, like, on a whim at uh, this, like, one trip. Yeah. So I don't think that I ever thought, like, she was actually going to tell Paige, but I'm sort of enamored by or impressed by the, like, way in which she's seeding all of the pieces that need to fall into place so that when she does tell Paige. And I think that that's coming at some point, but when she does tell Paige, like things will start to make sense in a way that they don't make sense for Paige right now. And that's the challenge of it. It's not like whether or not it's like when and how Mm -hmm. for Elizabeth, 
Whereas for Philip, it's whether or not, right? Like he's still on the whether or not game. And I don't think Elizabeth has, has been in that like this entire season, but she's been more tentative on the, or just like figuring out the when and how. Mm -hmm. I'd also be interested in comparing like the music that's playing there to music that was playing like in Elizabeth Gregory scenes. Like, I wonder if it's the same piece or same figure. Interesting. I will say, and this is just like a little, I was, the thing I was like, oh, is she going to tell Paige is I was wondering if she's going to tell Paige about her affair with Gregory, not about whether or not they were spies, but I thought there was a chance early on in this scene that we were going to get the like, Gregory was like someone very special to me and, and a more like truthful elaboration of what that was. I think she like doesn't do that and it makes sense. Why not? But like, I was wondering if like, that was going to be like, see, I'm being honest. Like I fuck up. I smoke cigarettes. I cheated on your dad. Like, but like, it was all about what I was committed to. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that Elizabeth closes her little speech, right? Is that like, there's more than the, it's not just the travel agency that we fought for the greater good. We did good. That was, you know, harder than rallies or harder than demonstrations that sometimes it was illegal, but we were part of something special. And then, you know, she says, I'm more like you than you think. Yeah. Which is, which is, Sweet if you don't know that that's in service of manipulating right. her into that becoming a, a spy for the KGB, in which case it's an incredibly ominous read, as sweet as it is. And that, can I, do you have more? Can I go with the segue? I just, no, started. segue away, segue away. And we get an odd version of that same sweet, ominous pairing in the James Kimmy situation. Okay, I want to hear your read on, like, that that in the James Kimmy. <laughs> well, so it's really only the very first interaction between them where James is, like, playing the music for Kimmy after they smoked some pot, where there is actually something, like, sweet and playful about that. Yeah. As creepy as it is at the same time. But, like, there, there's, there's an actual tenderness. And, of course, for Philip, it's because uh, Kimmy reminds him of his own daughter i don't know there's like part of me is like there's too much oedipus <laughs> in oh, all of obviously it. i mean <laughs> it's not just is this a game it's is this oedipus it's, yeah 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 you know, <laughs> which yes, i guess always. is like a question we could ask about any show in the 20th and 21st century is this oedipus (laughs) but yeah i think you're right i think like that 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 parallel for philip at least is like heavy handed on the part of the show, but like craftfully heavy handed, right? Like we kind of need that. We need that heavy hand for the, because we're used to seeing Philip like in weird sexual situations. Like, you know, I feel like you could categorize the entire Martha like relationship as that. Like, Sex oh, God Clark. Yeah, exactly. And so like this is weird, but we need the like emphasis on the page parallel to make clear why Philip is uncomfortable with this. Cause he's not really uncomfortable with most things. Indeed. And 
He's, un- I'm not sure if this is a way to try to alleviate the discomfort or just kind of unconsciously further dive into the discomfort on his part. But in a couple episodes ago, right, we had him learning about Yaz from Kimmy. And so he buys Kim the, or he buys Paige the Yaz. Right, right, right. And here, like the taking from one to the other is working in the opposite direction, right? Where he appropriates, as you pointed out earlier, some of his own revelations he finds out about Misha with the experience that Paige is is having of undergoing this new rebirth, right? And thus in a more religious direction and that changes the path. And so like he, as much as he dislikes what's happening with Paige, he uses so many elements of Paige's story to justify not having sex with Kimmy when Kimmy really wants to have sex with James. Yeah, and, like, I, so if we go back to thinking about, like, the new life that Elizabeth wants for Paige, yeah. here is, like, Philip trying to cope with, like, his own, I don't know, missteps or, like, things that he maybe sees himself as having done wrong, like, through establishing this sort of, like, new religious birth for himself or for this character. And, like, we sort of get that in the Philip and Kimmy praying together. Like, to your point about appropriating some of Paige's journey, like, Philip literally is like, let's pray together. And he makes a joke about it later, but I was just like, I honestly cannot believe this is happening. And also, this is genius. <laughs> it's so genius, right? And he, I think he even uses the, like, phrase starting a new life um, in when, after Kimmy has, like, dropped the towel in front of him um, <laughs> after her bath. Um, Kimmy um, also loves bath time. I... I- I have to go back to my notes for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to take a bath view is a terrible pickup line. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, but but it's also the pickup line that like a 15 year old who thinks she's like a mature 25 year old would use. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And like, I was just like, Oh God, like no one wants to get in like limb soup with you. I feel like I stole that from one of my sisters. <laughs> you know what? Kudos to whichever Hanley originates. <laughs> Caitlin, um, someone who's actually watched The Americans. We love it. <laughs> we love it. Um, um, oh my gosh. There's uh, there's so much here. So I, I have to like get off my chest. The, the, you can just pass this by as I suspect you will want to do so, Danielle. But... Kimmy, after they pray together, her, like, that was amazing is exactly the thing you can picture her saying if they were to have sex together. Oh, so there's, like, absolutely. this weird, like, transference of yeah, yeah, the yeah. sex that Kimmy wants to have with James to praying with James is, like, the expression of intimacy and whatever between the two of them that's, like, really fucked up. Well, yeah, and, like, Kimmy thinks she... I, I think it's like Kimmy thinks what she craves is physical touch, but what she craves is connection. Mm. And I feel like that is like such a, that's like such a teenage, yeah. um, like mix up, you know, like I'm sure the teenage versions of us like can remember like wanting like intimacy so bad and not realizing that the, the, like the many and varied ways that intimacy like unfolds. And so like, you're absolutely right that there's a sort of like, Oh God, of course, that's exactly what she would have said after sex. But like the reality of Kimmy's life is that she just like, 
she wants to feel wanted and included and like taken in by, by James and like be it prayer or fucking like either way we get there. (laughs) Witness her extreme insecurity when Philip puts the towel back on her. And even after the spiel, he comes up with on the spot or rehearsed, it's an open question, I think. Unclear. Um, I think on the spot, actually. I think this is like spy inspiration in the moment for him. And A Kimmy's plus. like, are you sure that I didn't do anything wrong? Right. And, and he, and you know, like that's not surprising that that's Kimmy's expression there. Then we sort of get her coldness later, right? Mm-hmm. The coldness where she's like, I've got like a lot of things to do. And he's like... You mean when, like, she gets a surprise pickup from high school, just like Paige got a surprise pickup from high school? Oh, I hadn't even thought of that, but that's genius, yes. Okay, you want something else that I just realized in this episode? The decor of the bedroom for Paige and the bedroom for Kimmy is similar. You've got, like, geometric color patterns going on. Kimmy's is, like, cooler, right? It's not, like, based like Paige, you know, who takes down her Rick Springfield and puts up the Paris um, poster in this episode. But anyway, it's like, there's there's some similar design things going on, except that Kimmy's is, like, a year or two older of a teenager. Oh, God. <sighs> Everything about this feels gross to me, but yep. also genius set design. Also genius set design. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, so a lot of, and this is, I think, the third set of parallel conversations in this episode. Uh, if, should I push the theme, like, really over the top obnoxiously here? You know you want to, so please. Okay. Gabriel, I think, has his own, like, new birth as master manipulator in this episode. I think that's right. In the parallel conversations he has with Philip and then with Elizabeth. Well, yeah, and, like, we see that I really thought that Gabriel was going to tell Elizabeth about Misha. Um, And I think that that's coming, but I guess that can be in the dossier in a moment. Gabriel as master manipulator, it's like... The, the, like, place that my brain keeps going to is, like, this is exactly how, like, oppressors use divide to conquer, right? There's, like, something about that. It's, like, trying to keep Philip and Elizabeth, like, separate, reminding Philip that he, like, doesn't want to do this mission with Kimmy, reminding Philip that, that like, he's not on board with the page stuff yet. And then, like, taking that knowledge... And, like, using it to fuel Elizabeth's actions. Right. And he's still doing that. It's just in a more indirect way, right? And, like, he has this line where he tells Philip that I didn't want to tell you about Misha this way. When, of course, he did. Because it's, like, the thing that locks Philip into, well, I guess I'll, like, fuck Kimmy. or Or I guess that I will see Kimmy once a week to swap out these tapes. Now that his son, who he just recently found out about a year and a half ago, now that he knows his son is in Afghanistan and, like, on the front lines and a loyal soldier and all of that, like, now, of course, Gabriel is giving him the information to get Philip more on board with going through, like, emotional in addition to, like, and, and moral in addition to, like, whatever kind of practical risks he's running to try to get more info about the CIA Afghan group through the Breland family. (sighs) 
Gabriel, like a much less sympathetic character in this watch for me than in previous times through. I think I said this last episode, but I'm like, I'm generally more taken by Gabriel than I ever was by, um, Claudia. I was like, not Martha, Claudia. (laughs) Um, but I think that that's my internalized, uh, misogyny. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's what our producer would say. I mean, I agree with it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll call it out myself. Oh, gosh. So, I mean, any thoughts about this revelation about Misha? I mean, so we we knew that Misha existed, but here we have uh, he's 20 years old, and here we have he's in Afghanistan, he's a good soldier, he's loyal, just like you, as Gabriel tells. I was trying to figure out, so on the previously on, we get the, like, the previous scene from, like, with the Irina, first season yeah. at the right? travel agent convention, right? Right. Which was like the first season or early in season two, like a long time ago. Um, and I was like, how could this possibly be coming back into play? But I had forgotten about the sun reveal. So that, um, I listen, I don't know if I believe it. Like I believe that Philip has a son. I don't know if I believe that he is in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, Gabriel feels untrustworthy to me. I mean, especially in the context of what he tells Elizabeth, right? Where he's both trying to be supportive and extremely manipulative and pushy of Elizabeth. Almost like that's where Elizabeth and Philip learned how they deal with Paige. Just maybe, question mark, right? Because he's saying, I don't want you to go behind Philip's back, but if he, you know, if Philip is ever holding you back, then you need to act. And Elizabeth is like, I am acting, or I am going ahead. And then Gabriel very sternly says, but you're not going ahead. And to your point earlier, witness next scene is Elizabeth with a surprise pickup from school. Yeah, I... mm. And and so, like, again, I was like, okay, is Gabriel going to tell Elizabeth about Misha? And then, like, we do, we at least don't have a scene where that where we see that, and we don't have a scene where Elizabeth brings it up, so we're led to believe that Gabriel hasn't said anything, which just, like, there's two possibilities for me. One is that he's holding it until he needs more leverage over Philip, um, or, like, he it's not true. And so, like... He's using it to manipulate Philip, but, like, that's, like, a line he maybe doesn't want to cross or doesn't want to cross yet with Elizabeth. Right. Like, he's got to keep that in the back pocket for when he needs to push her to do something. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and further, like, the divide between Philip and Elizabeth is significant, right, because, like, it's a a place for Gabriel to, to sort of, like, drive the wedge and push Elizabeth. But I think he also recognizes that, 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 that like he's walking a fine line there because like, if they are too divided, then actually like they don't function well as a team. And, and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Let's keep going with the obvious segues. So there's like the moment where Philip and Elizabeth (laughs) do work as a team though, in this episode. Oh my God. Amazing segue. (laughs) And that is 
Philip comes back from figuring, from devising this way to get out of having sex with Kimmy through his rebirth through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, Danielle's on mute, so I had time to get that in. And comes back and is in like a less bad mood because he did not sleep with Kimmy. And yeah. so he produces a leftover joint from his pocket and suggested, yeah. suggestively like looks at Elizabeth. The largest joint I've ever seen in my entire life. Definitely not the largest joint I've ever seen in my life. I actually think it was a it was an okay rolled joint. I don't mind one that's a little uh, haphazard. It um, felt very haphazard. <laughs> <laughs> there was like marijuana falling out of it. <laughs> it was like no, it it was extremely like rolled at the end. Like there was nothing was getting out of there. Rolled at the end that you smoke out of, but not. It wasn't extremely oh, it, rolled at the end that you. It was like don't... Fold, It was folded over at the tip. I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. <laughs> we'll do some forensic analysis. But uh, this scene was phenomenal for a number of reasons. I have so. an important question that is one of the reasons. Have okay. We'll give you some plausible deniability. Have you or another Hanley sister ever smoked weed out of the surreptit- surreptitiously out of a window in the Hanley household? No, absolutely no. not. Okay. But my parents have like the... we. They, our house is on like an acre and a little bit of property. So like my uncles used to walk all the way to the back so that they could all smoke. This is like when we were in high school. So, and like probably still today. Now they just get stoned in the, in the driveway and hotbox their cars and then come <laughs> in. It's <laughs> like, okay. So no, <laughs> the, the that, that was reason number one. I was wondering about was this paralleling Hanley household yeah. uh, fond memories. Two is that Stan's an FBI agent who lives across the street. <laughs> you don't think Stan is smoking weed out of his window? Like you're crazy. Oh, Stan would never touch a joint. Never. I don't believe that for a second. Tori is going to bring a joint to Stan, unbuckle his belt buckle, and okay. Stan's going to be Stan for years. That is the only thing that would convince Stan or, to smoke a J. Or if Sandy was like, I'll only come back to you if we're or high all the time, he'd be like, okay. pass okay, the you, bong. You've come up with two reasons, the only two reasons why Stan would light up. John, I, Stan, was in, Stan was embedded in a white supremacist, like, hate group. He yeah. Absolutely. Like, they were doing meth. <laughs> but I think that Stan is, like, absolutely willing to smoke pot. Oh, I think he, like, has, it's part of his weird FBI good guy morality. I read these, you know, propaganda comic books when I was six. Uh, I like to think of Stan as progressive when it comes to drugs. Like he knew that the, this is your brain on drugs campaign was bullshit. That's, that's true. That is a good point. (laughs) Um, anyway, one other nit to pick with this scene, they got high and giggly very, very quickly. I'm not necessarily going to say that this is about me, but it might be, but like, this is one million. 38 seconds. Like, okay. Okay. It's the same way that like I am drunk before I'm done with my first beer. Like it's this it's just like when substances impact you easily, it doesn't matter how much you imbibe. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a and that's not a matter of how much. It's a matter of like No, no. They're but straight like, giggly and and like 
record time so that it's not a seven minute scene. I understand, but it was, it was a little, this, this felt true to my experience of substances. Fair, fair enough. Um, they're really adorable in this scene. Together. I know I was, I was like, Oh, this is what happens when you like each other and you like, like decelerate a little bit from the like page will be a spy tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like like them laughing over Phillips, you know, (laughs) Jesus really came through for me. Honestly, a banger of a line. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. All right. I don't have more to say about this. I think we had to get our thoughts in on the, I think this is a great scene to end our main discussion on. Um, so let's go. They've entered new birth as pot smokers. Okay. (laughs) I'm over (laughs) this for now. (laughs) Gee, I wonder why. All right. Let's head to the, let's head to the segment segments. Let's what's in the dossier. First of all, first entry in the dossier, like, is Tori a spy? Like, I'm still, I don't know, but I just, that question is like, I don't know. You're in this house very quickly. You met 30 seconds ago. Stan is an FBI agent and, like, should not let you in his house. You should be at a hotel. (laughs) Also, like, you shouldn't have been over his, I don't know, there's something like, it's like too intimate. It's like, Stan's bad at his job. The first, oh, Stan's also bad at dating. First, (laughs) first date. Equals at my neighbors who just so happen to be travel agents who are undercover F- uh, KGB agents. Like who takes their like? Let's have a like wonderful first date and get to know one another by going to my neighbors who are travel agents that I think are kind of boring and they're two kids, one of whom's like lefty Christian, and the other of whom is est skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, which could not have been predicted, but like. Honestly, tremendous. So that's, I'm, I'm like suspicious of Tori. Fair, um, fair suspicion, but no comment. Second entry in the dossier, just like steady on the course of Martha's impending demise. She's got that 30 second uh, discussion with Adderholt. And I'm like, oh, there's no red flags that go up in this episode, but like you also haven't saved yourself. <laughs> Any Nina thoughts? Do you think Nina actually had a husband? A great question. I don't know because, like, I don't know what's real and what's fake with Nina at all. There's a version of this story where she did. There's a version of this story where she thought Stan was her husband. There's a version of this story where she saw, like, Oleg in that role, right? Like, there's any number of... of There's also a version of the story where she saw herself as having a husband, right? So, like, I have no idea. Literally none. Yeah, I mean, let's then go to Gloss and kick off Gloss with Nina and get her this time, like, returning to act after transgressing, returning to act for the state yet again. So instead of a new birth, it's like a rebirth for her. Um, where she effectively manipulates Evie to get Evie to quasi admit, but not really ultimately admit to knowing that she was doing some sort of clandestine spying activity uh, on behalf of her quote unquote boyfriend. But like she admits enough. Like I I get the sense that Nina knows what enough is, right? Like definitely she admits enough that like Nina can use it. And, Mm -hmm. and so like, there she is. I mean, like, there's a way to read this as a rebirth, but there's also a way to read this as, like, a going back, right? Where Definitely. Nina is good at her job. 
Nina is very good at her job. Like three minutes ago, this woman wouldn't even talk to her. So (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, we also get Nina. And again, this is to what you were saying in the dossier, Danielle, that how much of this is Nina's expression of what she genuinely understands herself to think or feel versus how much is she playing this up for Evie? But she has like her thoughts on men, her thoughts on love that are coming up. Yeah. Do you still believe in love? You can, you know, the mistake we both made was trusting men that we thought we loved. She had two lovers. The problem is that men and women think differently and they were never going to like actually go to bat for her and stand up for her, which is kind of true and kind of not true, right? From the like yeah. external perspective of the viewer. But there's like lots of Nina thoughts on her past and her relationships and what led to her being in this prison that is somewhat her expressing herself and somewhat her trying to run this mission for on Evie. Yeah. And I think like at this point, Nina doesn't really have a, uh, my read would be like, Nina doesn't have a good sense of herself because yeah. like everything she knows has been like turned upside down. Nor is this in classic Nina style. Does she have some fuller sense of agency? Right. Just a more extreme version of this in the prison. And like she gets rewarded, right? Like she gets a feast and some wine from the KGB guy um, after she gets Evie to admit uh, what's happened. And I mean, Evie just like screaming. Yeah. And like screaming for Nina. Nina. Nina, what did you do? Yeah. yeah. She knew it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. Evie, Evie was on to Nina and then Nina lulled her into mm-hmm. a false sense of security, which is like the mm-hmm. thing that Nina's really good at. Yeah. In classic, like job. Annette Mahendru's good at her job of Nina's face. Yeah. Like <laughs> the like look of like almost like death that Nina has that Annette Mahendru has is Nina as yeah. Evie is being pulled out and Nina is turned physically her entire body away from watching this happen. Like good camera work to like shoot it in that way. So they get Nina in the foreground f- fully turned away from Evie being dragged out by two yeah. guards. Uh, it was like expertly shot. Uh, yeah. Those scenes like incredibly effective. Yeah. From Nina to Stan. Always. Always already. (laughs) I love it. Um, So I feel like this episode to me, if we like want to harp on the theme of, of like rebirth or new life or baptism, like this is Stan struggling with his new life. Mm -hmm. Um, I like it. I like it. Like this is Stan, like the date with Tori, like you said before, like it's at his neighbor's house. He's like looking at the Sandy picture. She calls him on it. Um, like that's challenging for him. His friend dies. He's inviting Sandy to the, um, to the funeral, which is like a, like that makes sense to me as like Mm -hmm. someone who's grieving, bringing other people into the circle. Like that makes total sense to me, but also just like in the context of the relationship with Sandy is like such a misstep for Stan. And it just like, to me was another moment where it's like, Oh, he's struggling with the new life. Yeah. I mean, He's unsure. He's unable to be present with Tori. Mm-hmm. Unsure, kind of, of like whether he wants Tori. Um, yeah. Like in the end, does very much want Tori, right? And like presumably they have sex on the couch together. I think that's what we're like led to believe. After Stan, like, is ambivalent about it and like to your point is staring at a picture of yeah. him and Sandy and Matthew. 
But also, like, I guess the counterpoint there is, or not counterpoint, but, like, the complication there is, like, Tori calls him on it. Yeah. And Stan is honest. And that was actually, like, to me, the mark of Stan stumbling towards his new life. Yeah. If not able to be fully there. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's the turning point in some ways for Stan is that Tori is not upset at Stan for having these complicated feelings or, you know, she says, like, struggling with it or whatever. But, like, her embracing the difficulty of this for Stan is what, like, confirms for him that, okay, cool, like, I'm horny, Tori is hot, let's have sex. Yeah. Like, this is, like, this is immediate and the Sandy stuff is not immediate. And I think Tori, like, helps him articulate that those are different, like, that there is a difference, right? Like, Mm -hmm. So, I don't so if know. she's a spy, she's really good at her job. Not sure, like what she's spying about, <laughs> like, but maybe she's a spy. So Stan, it seems like, has really benefited from Est. He's like achieving these new levels of self clarity. But there's some skepticism of Est in this episode. Henry being the prime est skeptic is like so amazing because for a character that really is not around that often doesn't get to do anything when he is around and he's like messing with Philip and 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 like not answering Philip's questions about Paige or he's like asking about Mrs. Beeman at the table (laughs) or he's grilling Stan on like, well, what even is Est? And like, it's a joke that Philip is going, Mm -hmm. but also maybe it's not a joke that Philip is going like, what's happening here. And like, I don't know, like somebody like to 12 year old Henry, Henry be like, it's not nice to ask guests those questions. Moving on. Yeah. But I mean, Henry, to your point, like of the, you know, previous episode is willing to ask the questions that he's not supposed to, which I don't know any better or whatever. Um, yeah. But what is S really like? What are you actually doing there? Is it a religion? Is it a cult? It sounds weird. Like Henry, our guy. Paige is like, it's not a religion. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I've never seen myself in Paige so much as the like, nah, like, like yeah. trying to wrap my arms around the thing that is mine. And Elizabeth is just like, I can't believe we're fucking talking about this <laughs> at the dinner table. Like, I'm so fucking annoyed that Philip is going anyway, and maybe 5% believes it. You have a note here, outfit check, side note. Oh, gosh, yeah. So while we're on the subject of Stan and his date, like, it's like he had time to go change into something better looking than, like, his standard Stan fare. What better looking do you think Stan has in his wardrobe? Something else. Like, all I know is that, like, (laughs) when Tori is, like, taking his clothes off and he has, like, look, like, you need an undershirt. I get it. I'm there. I, I, I feel you, Stan. But, like, change before the date, my friend. Like, just dress a little bit better. If you, like, Tori is very attractive. Like, you got to up your game, my friend. John, I love you. But Stan, Stan doesn't have no, game. I get this. It's not, that, it's not that Stan doesn't have game. Stan does not have a fashion sense. I Sandy know. has been buying his clothes for him for 20 years. This is a great and point. And now that she's not there, he like definitely doesn't know what you're supposed to wear. And he's, he barely can put thought into the job that he has to think about. You expect him <laughs> to like think about his clothes? Absolutely not. This is John, you're like, wild misreading. Okay. 
yes, a wild misreading, and Stan, get your shit together. No, no, no. I, like, as a human being who, like, could dress attractively, I agree that he does not. But not dressing attractively or in a way that is designed to impress is fully consistent with his character. And fully consistent with, like, middle-aged men who don't pay attention to what they're wearing. Uh Uh-huh. And who has not been on a date for however long. And who, like, only has his overly large FBI suits. Listen. And his racquetball wear. Which we haven't gotten racquetball. Come on. Like, surely you can run out a racquetball court FX. To be fair... He could have put his racquetball fit on. You know what? He would have looked hotter than in uh, (laughs) whatever the, the, like, fuck, you know, 60-year-old man. Oh, my God. I'm dead. I'm dead. Bad cat and over shirts two sizes too big. Do you have any thoughts about Dan's <laughs> friend who dies? I mean, I agree um, with all that, but like, it's just, it does, it's literally inconsequential. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting for Stan to have friends like in his past, yeah. that, like as a professional friend. Um, and we know that he and Amador were like, right. buddies, if not friends, I think buddies yeah. is the appropriate term. So I think finding that out, like we get another piece of Stan's professional background here that he worked on like the Midwest bank robbery, like task force or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is where he knew the person that died, you know, but as you pointed out, it's like more a mechanism for him to express his continued lack of understanding of Sandy's emotional yeah. state and their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's like, I think that is the most poignant part of yeah. of this in the in the episode and I do feel like there had maybe it felt like when Sandy walked in like and they were having this conversation like that there maybe was some progress and then he sort of like fucks it up by being like will you come? Yeah. And it's like no 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 that's like that's inappropriate. And there's also the Aderhold like tells Stan this is like a very like genuine thing yeah. from him, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we get some, I guess like for us, we get, or for me, we get some good character development or like a fleshing out of some of the Stan stuff, Mm -hmm. like in, in these like pretty short exchanges. Absolutely. All right. What do you think is going on with Hans? He's taking some initiative. He's like, I think there's this person from who's been coming to the anti-apartheid meetings on campus who's sketchy. I tried to follow him for a little while. He looked like he was checking for surveillance. What do you think is happening here? I mean, I was impressed that it was, that it was important. I like, but then again, like, I guess every, this is like part of watching the show as trying to like unpack mysteries for me. Everything that like, Lucia brought to to Elizabeth was also important, right? Like we sort of like the guy that that she's in love with, like that that ends up being this sort of like huge piece in a puzzle that has yeah. to fall into place. And so it made sense to me that this was important. It just felt like I guess the thing that I felt was like this feels like an ellipses because it feels really important. It feels like we're gonna like sort of take see this play out over the next few episodes or the rest of the season. And so I more than like, Oh, good job, Hans. I sort of doubted you. And now I doubt you a little bit less. (laughs) Like that's sort of where I am. 
Yeah, no, I think that's totally reasonable. I mean, it's it's Hans taking like initiative, and you know, Elizabeth like kind of chides him of "Don't ever do this again." And this is a little bit, I think, revealing some of Elizabeth's overprotectiveness towards yeah. Lucia yeah. or towards Hans, or maybe overprotectiveness towards Hans because of what because happened. Because of Lucia. Lucia. Yeah. 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 But I'm interested to see like where this goes. I, I don't think I was expecting it to be as big of a reveal as uh, Gabriel like then says that it is, but yeah, it tells Elizabeth that like, yeah, this is seems to be like a very serious thing that's happening. This is actually a piece of the puzzle that, like, we've been looking for for a long time. Mm-hmm. Good job. And she's sort of, like, stunned by it. Yeah. So. All right. A couple of minor gloss notes. Uh, Paige is redecorating. Any any meaning, any symbolism you want to read into her taking down the Rick Springfield poster and having Philip put up the Paris poster? Something, something, less, something, something. I don't know. Cool. Like- Great. I'm, I'm down. Uh <laughs> Danielle, what the fuck is everybody reading in this episode? I have a note to myself. Like, what could Elizabeth be reading? Your husband is, like, maybe sleeping with a teenager, and you're obviously... (laughs) 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 I wasn't expecting that. Are those words you you ever thought you would say in your life? No. No. Um, And you're just like casually perusing a book like I read for my job and it's like hard for me to read five pages a night before I go to bed and I'm not like stressed out about a husband sleeping with a teenager I don't know there was like (laughs) something about it was so incongruous to like Elizabeth's lived reality that I was like what could you possibly be reading and it's a well-worn like older cover like it's a pretty shade of blue like what is in here like do, do they have, like, Tolstoy or Dostoevsky around the house, or would that give away too much? That was my question, but what what would what would you want her to be reading? Are this theory ship, or are we doing fiction ship? This is, like, anything you want. I have an answer to this. Okay, then please go. I want her to be reading one of the Daniel Silva, like, mystery novels where the main character is Gabriel Allon, who is a former <laughs> Mossad agent turned like international spy so (laughs) that's what i want her to be reading like can't turn it off so like i'm gonna redirect the energy yeah i'll go with i want her to either be reading uh virginia wolf amazing (laughs) or like a john le carre novel yeah um, Yeah, yeah, because she's like this is so funny that this is fictional and like it's kind of bullshit we live the real life but also it's potentially good cover um to be reading like John right. or maybe even worse, like maybe like, you know, a level down, like your Frederick Forsyth or someone like this. Yeah. But like John Le Carre, like at least temporally would make sense. Right. Because he's writing and publishing in the eighties. So yeah. I, yeah, I like, I like the, like reading a mystery novel or reading a spy novel as cover does feel like the best way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So actually it's first a little drummer girl is not quite out yet, but is in nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Um yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's specifically the Lacare that I want her to be reading. I know this because it's published the same year I was born, and it's my favorite John Lacare, and Florence Pugh is absolutely amazing. That series is like one of the single best like limited yeah. series that's actually Agreed. a limited series. Fully agree. Fully yeah. agree. Yeah, because yeah, all all sorts of stuff there. Maybe maybe we should do Little Drummer Girl. Oh yeah, side project. That um, could be really fun. That would be um, fun. 
Okay, we got to get into borrowed nostalgia. Yes. It's it's quick, quick. Um, but but some solid uh, solid entries. First are Sandy and Matthew's jackets and or vests that they show up to mm-hmm. the Beeman household in. I love Matthew's vest. Matthew Beeman, extreme glow up since the last time we spent any time with him. One million percent. He also ha- like has nailed the like angsty teen look. <laughs> yeah, the the long hair is working for him in yeah. this episode in a way Fully it agree. hasn't necessarily worked previously. Fully agree. Kimmy's sweaters are partially eighties. I'm I like conflicted the, like, on this. The fabric and the colors there. But you pointed out a crucial failure of the 80s-ness of Kimmy's sweaters. They're too tight. And, like, your your sort of counter to me saying that was that, was that like, she's trying to, like, be sexier, like, show midriff for Jim. And I, I think that that's right, but also it, like, takes away from the 80s-ness. I feel like they should be oversized and have shoulder pads and, like, look like she's, like, Harry Styles in 2023. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think, like, and I think... It would be very on brand or on character for her, maybe, and I'm going to counter my own point, to have like a poofy sweater that's more midriff bearing. And I think that would be 80s. But I think she sees herself as so much more mature. Yeah. Like for her, that's something that a 15, 16 year old girl would wear. And she wants to be like sophisticated. I slept with a poli sci student. I I think you're right. I, I, I buy that. Um, staying on Kimmy sort of just for a minute, Pink Floyd on a Walkman feels like the most eighties. Like, first of all, Walkmans just feel so eighties. I obviously experienced them in the nineties. Um, but like, it's just like, it's so 80s and something about Pink Floyd, which is like, you know, it's, it's already oldies in the 80s. Just like, but that Kimmy doesn't know it. Like there's something about like age and maturity and taste that's happening there. That's that I feel the like a- perfect way to put it because it's exactly the thing that the character of James would continue listening to in yes. the 80s because for him like jazz or human league synth pop like all of this shit is bullshit right. to james's character right. and so like so the wall is not that old the wall came out in 79 although if we're talking about oh, smoking music presumably he is playing dark side of the moon or wish you were here would be my guess for kim I, I feel like he does say dark side of the moon okay but maybe I just, like, assumed that that's okay. what it was. So that is 73 is Dark Side of the Moon, right? So this is, like, real uh, nostalgia for the 70s borrowed by James for the 80s and repurposed for his old man shtick. Well, and to your point, Jim is, like, a little bit fashion-wise and, like, life-wise stuck in the 70s. Very so like, much. So, I, like, it fits. Which appeals to Kimmy. Exactly. In her, like, I like the old... Uh, mode. Okay, moving on. Uh, great line from Gabriel. He's in the middle of manipulating uh, his two uh, people he's supposed to be carrying and leading, but does get the line when talking about this Han South Africa situation that uh, it's in, you know, they're examining how Reagan is, quote, cozying up with the most racist government on the planet, end quote, which is just like, Great line and like great line. Reagan, what a motherfucker for like remaining so close to both of for so long. 
Honestly, I like that this show constantly reminds us like how terrible Reagan was. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Like John, again, the the like this show refusing to give a purely America centric yeah. view of the Cold War. Thank you. Exactly. For your service. John, who do we have for minor character of the week? Danielle, have you been missing some earrings lately? Did you oh my God. lose I, them I, in I, a I, secret spy mission? In fact, I handed them over when they were gruffly demanded of me <laughs> when I was taking way too long to replace an antenna in a briefcase. Yeah. So our fine character of the week is someone <laughs> described in the credits only as quote unquote KGB woman, uh, played Accurate. by Mira Rachmanova. Uh, Mira Rachmanova plants the bug, donates your earrings to the cause is like <laughs> pissed about it. But like, to your point, that you made before we started recording, and yell, like, doesn't even question is like, fine, yeah, this is what right I here. have to do. Yeah, take them. Here's the thing. She plays that scene wonderfully, but yeah. that is some sloppy spycraft. Like, why it, can't Philip install the thing? It presumes that they are, they know they're going to have a ton of time. And Kimmy, like, is like, I like, let's take a bath together. And Philip's like, you take a bath. You need to be relaxed. Like, I, there's there's too much contingency there. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't like any of it. Especially, like, what was the plan if, like, th- like how does... If, if Philip has sex with Kimmy, how is Philip going to, like, alert KGB woman that, that they are having sex so that she can sneak up into the office and install the bug? Like... I have to run downstairs. I have to run downstairs to get a condom for my wallet Well, that's what I thought that... I think that's what Kimmy thought that he was saying. Yeah. And, like, that's fine. But I'm also just, like... I don't know. It's, like, this... uh, Letting her in. Leaving the door open. Like, get in the room and close the door. Like, why is this door open? What's happening here? Oh, my God. I didn't like it at all. But Mira Rachmanova... (laughs) Mira Rachmanova... Yes, that did a wonderful job. Yeah, I love it. I don't think we get Mira Rachmanova again. I don't think we get this KGB woman uh, later on. But what we do get every single episode is a trip to the cave. And Danielle's really been in this (laughs) mid-stretch of season three, really like carrying the Not Quite Great Books podcast down into the cave. So the descent, all credit goes to you. I'm just along for the ride. And we're going to let that continue. I mean, I do feel like you carry us to this point in the episode, every episode. So I'm like happy to shoulder this weight. (laughs) Um, Okay. Into the cave. It's very sad that we don't have producer Amy on for this one um, because we are taking producer Amy's favorite political theorist into the cave (laughs) with us, Hannah Arendt um, and specifically Hannah Arendt on action and uh, action and its relationship to speech. Um, we get this quote at the beginning of the episode from Pastor Tim, where, you know, he's sort of like offering uh, words from the Bible, blah, 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 blah. A, a reading, if you will. If, whatever. <laughs> and he says, he quotes like, let us not love with words and speech, but with action and truth. And so immediately my brain jumped to Arendt. Um, who has like extensive work on the relationship between political action and speech. And I'm not going to get too deep into it, except just to say that 
there's like a few points from Arndt that I think help us make sense of some of the things and help maybe challenge some of the things we've been talking about in this episode and these episodes. So for Arndt, the consequences of, consequences of political action outpace any intentions we may have. And political action for Arndt is action in concert. Um, and so there's like two aspects of this that I think are perhaps useful. The first is that one is not a political subject in advance of acting and specifically in advance of acting in concert. So that idea that like one needs to act in order to like take up the position of political subject, I think is interesting. And then related is this idea that um, political action or action in concert needs to be displayed publicly if one is to exist as political subject at all. And I think like on the one hand, we get all of these questions, like within this show, we get all these moments where Philip and Elizabeth are, are doing all this like secretive acting, right? They're acting as spies. They're like acting in secret. They're acting not in public, but in private. And it raises the question of whether or not um, spying is a form of political action. Mm, I think mm -hmm. like the show wants us to read it as that, but aren't, I think helps us challenge that. And I'm interested in, uh, in, in pursuing that a little bit. I think the other thing is that, um, in her, in Bonnie Honig, who we've talked about on here before, sure who, have. who brings aren't into her work a ton, she talks about in, in trying to sort of flesh out, well, what does action in concert actually consist of? What does it mean beyond the sort of publicness of, and the collective character of it? What is it? And one of the ways that Honig talks about action in concert is that it involves a kind of self-forgetting and a vibrant anti-institutionalism. And I think there's a tension there between the, the self-forgetting and, uh, that it seems to me that Philip is having trouble forgetting himself, forgetting his sort of like, if we want to call it his like real identity, forgetting his like position as father, as husband. And like, that is part of what is challenging to him in regard to his relationship with Kimmy, that like the inability to engage in self-forgetting, the inability to forget himself and to fully immerse himself in the sort of like public mode of action of duping Kimmy into thinking he is Jim is like part of the, is part of what's happening there. And perhaps part of why he's failing at like this part of the mission. This is remarkable. <laughs> cave remarkable theorying <laughs> for many reasons one is that once again i brought nothing to the cave <laughs> second of all is our end while the fave of producer amy is neither danielle or i's like expertise no necessarily <laughs> favorite and yet here we have danielle being like here are three brilliant possible readings for the cave and they're all really promising i mean i think for me the one that speaks the most is the one about um like is spying anti-political from an Iranian yeah. position. And yeah, I mean, and, and, and the question of what does the show think is political or not about yeah. spying is interesting to contract with, uh, contrast with our end, right? Because like, 
the surreptitious nature, the often lone or impair nature of what Philip and Elizabeth are doing does indeed like disqualify it from the acting in concert and acting in concert in public parts um, of Arendt, as you put it down. Um, And then also the, like, you know, the contrasting, but also like oddly overlapping of Arendt with the line from Pastor Tim is, is remarkable in its own right. Yeah. And just like what the idea of like what counts as action seems to be at the core of like so much of the tension between mm-hmm. like Philip, Elizabeth and Paige, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and even like between James and Kimmy, right? Like mm-hmm. what counts as action? Like yeah. what is read as action versus like what is intended as action? And that yeah. I like another piece of, of Arendt that's like maybe helpful here is like the, that I, that I mentioned a bit earlier. It's like, the consequences of political action outpace the intentions. And so it's not about the intentionality, but it is about the effects we see in the world. And, and those, if we see page as like the, uh, the object upon which those consequences unfold, like, I think that that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because I knew you would be really into this, I did look up the actual line, um, like in the Bible that oh. Pastor Tim cites. Do you, are, are you a King James or a New International, uh, Danielle? Neither of these is a Hebrew Bible, so I'm not either of them. I didn't even know there was a difference than King James. Okay, there's there are so many differences. Um, we're going to get Keller on here to explain this to you uh, on his next journey to the Not Quite Great Books podcast. So in King James Version, this, so we're in uh, First Epistle of John, Chapter 3, uh, uh, Line 18. My, this is King James, my little children. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And cl- unsurprisingly, uh, the Reed Street Church goes with uh, the New International Version. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. But am I am I getting this correct that, like, the King James and Old other versions? But, King like, James other versions... Other versions, like the New Testament is translated from Greek, yeah? Uh, sure. I think that that's right. So <laughs> I like, think that that's correct. So tongues and speech are the same word in Greek. So Incredible. they're like, this is a, this is like one of those moments where actually the Greek helps us understand why these translations are seemingly distinct, but actually like of, of the same piece. Danielle, look at you. You have so much New Testament knowledge. No, get out of here. I have Greek knowledge. A new marvel every day. Uh, Collection of texts, according to our Bible, Wikipedia, originally written in the Koina Greek language. See that? Yeah. See that? Wonderful. Important. I think we may have forgot this question for the past couple of episodes, but Danielle, crucial I, we know what producer Amy would think, but is Arendt staying in the cave or coming back out with us? Uh, I think we take her back out with us. Okay. I like feel in honor good. of producer Amy. Yeah. In honor of producer Amy or just in general, like her ideas don't suck. And we're, we usually leave the people in the cave that we like, can't be bothered to deal with them otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So, Arendt gets her own version of natality coming out of the cave. 
Oh, what a good reference that we didn't want to engage with. Amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. All right. So theory ship, I got a couple for you. Um, I want to give Henry some (laughs) Christopher Lash and then some Baudrillard given his like various S skepticisms. Amazing. And I think that it'd be cool if Paige and Elizabeth together could read Touré and Hamilton's Black Power. I feel good about that. Okay. I feel, I actually, I feel good about all of these. Thank you. Theory ship. That's, that's my, like, I don't need to think, I don't need to explain no ambition, just vibes. That's what I'm bringing to the Well, game. and I like, can't wrap my head around just vibes at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually true. With the exception. <laughs> so with one gigantic exception, at least one, okay. um, two exceptions, exception number one, not quite great books, a TV podcast. Exception number two, Harry Styles. I dis- I don't think that Harry Styles is just vibes. <laughs> Strong disagree. I, um, <laughs> I like, was saying it and laughing at how much you were going to disagree with and the here's, statement. <laughs> here's the thing. I'm not opposed at all. I'm into yeah, yeah. I'm into the vibes. Um, but You're into vibes. the vibes sometimes when we recognize them as vibes. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Only. <laughs> Mm, pretty much. Uh, so that with brings that. us <laughs> with that, with our requisite Harry Styles, several mentions down here in the segments, miraculously. I there think is, the episode is over. Uh, yeah, me too. I actually think we haven't mentioned Harry Styles in a couple of episodes, so I this feels good. I'm surprised about that. Um, thanks, as always, to producer Amy. And up next in the feed, uh, in two weeks, we'll have the American Season 3, Episode 7, Walter Taffet. What yeah. a great name. What a great name. And we'll we'll figure out what happens to Walter Taffet or what Walter Taffet represents. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon and indirectly producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball.